Join myself and Jason at MicroConf 2011, June 6 and 7 in Las Vegas. For more information, go to microconf.com and enter in TechZing to get $100 off a ticket. Welcome to episode 133 of TechZing, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. On today's show, we're talking to Erica Douglas, co-founder and CEO of Woosh Traffic. Hi, Erica. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. So um, I was introduced to Erica by Pete Michaud with regard to SEO for Plugio. And after speaking to Erica, it was pretty obvious that she knows her onions. So I thought, well, we definitely need to get her on the show. Uh, but before we get into that, the whole SEO stuff, be nice to hear a little bit of background about Erica. I'm especially interested in the fact that you built and sold a company for a million by the time you were 26. I was in Silicon Valley from the time I was 18 to the time I was 28, almost 29. And so when I lived in Silicon Valley, I had jobs and I worked at a startup called Cobalt Networks, which was later acquired by Sun Microsystems. And what that startup company did was we made little blue web servers and those who date in Silicon Valley way back in the day, back in 99, 2000, 2001, may remember the company. And I was part of the IT group. So I was responsible for the computers internally to other Cobalt employees. Whenever people would have issues with Windows or something like that, then I would be the one to fix it. Yeah, I still remember, I still remember those, uh, those ads. There was, I remember there's this redheaded girl on all the ads. Do you remember, yes. do you remember that? That was really, that was really, and then these, right, the, those really thin cobalt servers. This was back like late, late 90s. Yeah, I started there in 1999. Mm -hmm. So, and that's basically one of the first jobs I had when I came to Silicon Valley. I was 18 years old. I had just graduated high school, was starting college and had a part-time job there. Well, the IT job didn't pay very well. So what I started doing was pulling our servers out of the trash and we had a diagnostics lab internal to the company where I could run Linux diagnostics and see the Linux boot commands on the screen and see what was going on. The servers themselves didn't have a monitor out or a hookup for a monitor. So it did run Linux, but it wasn't your typical type of Linux where you hook it up to a screen to see what's going on. They only had SSH or console, or they had a little... LED panel on the front of the screen that you could do things like reformat the server or reboot the server, things like that. Right. So the diagnostics lab enabled me to hook it up to an actual screen or a console and see what was going on with the server. So a lot of times they would just throw servers away and I would be able to fix them really easily. I'd go out and buy a hard drive or buy new memory or something like that, run mem tests, run all the diagnostic labs, then reformat them with the latest Cobalt OS. And then I would sell them on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Well, so how did that, I mean, how did that end up being a million dollar business? Well, wait, for, first of all, Justin, I'm going to ask, uh, how did you learn how to do that? You're 18 years old. I mean, what kind of background did you have in, I don't know, working with servers? Okay. Well, we can go back all the way back to when I was in high school. Actually, I don't think I've told this story on an interview before. So that might be a really good one for you guys. Well, you know what texting is? We're, we're a little bit different. We like to okay. dig into the details. Yeah. <laughs> so when I was in high school, let's go all the way back to there. So I grew up in Indiana and I was in high school. I grew up in a small town, so there was no computer person or anything like that. So if I wanted to fix my computer when it was broken, I had to learn how to fix it myself because we didn't really have any people who really knew what they were doing with computers. 
So my first couple of years of high school, I was a sysop on a BBS. You may remember that for the old school BBS users. We ran Wildcat. So that was what we were using on Windows NT 3.5, I think it was. Or maybe it was 3. something, and then we moved up to 3.5. And I remember the day we upgraded to NT 4.0 because it looked really cool. (laughs) Right. Yep. (laughs) So basically... That's how I got started. And then I got into Linux and I ran Red Hat Linux 5.0, 5.1, and 5.2. This was way long time ago. I'm thinking 97, 98, somewhere in there was when those were released. And I started running my own server. And I ran a really popular shareware site called thebestshareware.com. And I ran several other websites. And that's how I got my first job at age 15 working for an SEO company in 1997. So, so you've been doing SEO since 15. And, yes. Uh, I, I guess I should never, it's, ne- it's never um, polite to ask a lady's age. So uh, how many years <laughs> vaguely have you been doing it? <laughs> I'll be 30 in a couple months. So right, okay. <laughs> yeah, so 14 years. <laughs> That's interesting though. I mean, you know, I know this is always kind of a strange question to ask, but I think people, you know, it's what people are thinking of. It's like, you know, girls usually aren't that interested in the tech stuff, right? It's usually True. nerdy guys. So how did you, uh, what made you different or what made you interested in it, do you think? I think just growing up in a farm town, there were a lot of women in my town who did everything that the men could do. And also my parents really encouraged me to learn all of this stuff. My parents are completely non-technical. I know a lot of people in the tech industry have parents who are also very technical and those right. parents got them into technical pursuits. Well, I'm the opposite. My parents were not technical. I used to joke that my dad couldn't tell the difference between a screwdriver, the tool and a screwdriver, the drink. (laughs) (laughs) So, and he much preferred screwdriver, the drink to screwdriver, the tool. (laughs) Okay. Jason, I can see that I'm going to have to keep this interview on track. I know that we're like one time we're going to end up at the kind of SEO thing, but what we're talking about now is very interesting. So I'm I'm still want to get back to how that turned into a million dollar company. That's, that's very interesting. All right. So you know that now that my background was Red Hat Linux back in high school, I worked at Cobalt Networks and I was a Windows system administrator at Cobalt, but I had my Linux background and Cobalt is where I really learned how to use Linux. A lot of the engineers, I'd go up to them and they would think it was funny that this like kind of cute 18 year old girl was asking them how to create four loops in a bash shell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. Hey man, this chick just asked me how to do a for loop. (laughs) (laughs) And that's where I learned how to do it. I I had balls, you know, I just would go up to these guys and I'd be like, okay, how do you do this in bash? And they would tell me so, and they thought it was funny. So that was really cool. And that's where I really developed my Linux skills. So at one point, the CEO came to my desk and this was a, it was a fairly large company. So it wasn't me reporting directly to the CEO or anything, but he showed up at my desk and he said, somebody told me that you're selling our servers on eBay. (laughs) And I said, yeah, that's true. I was actually at that point making more money selling their servers on eBay than I was at my job as a desktop support technician (laughs) for their company. So, and he said, you need to stop that because you're undercutting our reseller channel. (laughs) (laughs) So Uh I said, okay, I'll stop. So the, but at this point people knew that I was doing that. So they started piling up in my cubicle, you know, half dead servers that we had rescued from various trash cans or that the developers had donated to me because they'd blown it up on some sort of test and they wanted to see if I could fix it, things like that. So I got a bunch of them sitting on my desk and I said, well, what can I do with these things if I can't sell them on eBay? And the solution that came to me was, why don't I use them for my web hosting? And I had, I had been running my shareware site. Unfortunately, 
the server that the shareware site was on was stolen out of the data center that it was in. That's a whole nother story. I know I, wow. I have like six hours of conversations about hosting and Linux <laughs> that I could talk about. Wow. We'll have to bring you back for one of those in, in depth. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sure. I'd be happy to. And so the server was stolen out of the data center and I didn't have backups. Actually, I had backups, but unfortunately they were corrupt. So the shareware site was gone and my other sites were gone. So I kind of lost interest at that point because I would have had to recreate everything from scratch and the sites weren't making that much money. So I decided to try web hosting. I had already been hosting a couple of my friends since high school on my server, since I had my own server co-located for my, my websites, which was really rare back in 96, 97 to have your own box like that. Right. So I had to have my own box actually because the shareware site hosted downloads of exe and zip files and no hosting company would let you do that sort of thing because it, it required a whole lot of bandwidth. So I had to run my own dedicated server, which was always pricey, but I always, I made money doing SEO and I made money doing all this other stuff, web design, web development. So to get back to the point, I set up a, an account in San Francisco when I was 20 years old at a data center there. And I put in one cobalt server to begin with, which quickly became four, which quickly became 11 which then that data center went out of business. It was a really interesting time in the hosting industry. People don't realize now they, they think about hosting and they probably think of HostGator or GoDaddy, especially if you're younger and you've never really experienced this industry. But 10 years ago, the hosting industry was complete chaos and turmoil. There were, this was the dot-com bust had just happened. Now we had just been bought out by Sun Microsystems, Cobalt had, and I was ready to leave because I hated working at a big company like that. So I have these four servers at that point in the data center in San Francisco, and I'm also working in San Francisco at Sun Micro. So I quit when one of my web design and web development clients offered me a, a lucrative contract redesigning their shopping cart and integrating it with their merchant account. Something back then that was really difficult to do. This was a contract that paid me $8,000. So, and that was wow. 10 years ago or nine years ago, somewhere in there. So so you develop as well. So as well as being a like a server administrator, you, you are a coder too, right? Yes, I'm fluent in everything from Bash, cell scripting to Perl to PHP. So I, my knowledge really ends at PHP since I haven't really been a coder full-time since about 2005. I know today I would probably be into Python or Ruby, um, but I moved to running a business and hiring people to do the technical stuff. I still code for fun. Actually, right now I'm working on a WordPress plugin for Woosh Traffic. For my company just because it's fun i could easily hire somebody to do it of course but i just i like keeping my skills up to date by programming every once in a while i guess it's good because when you when you dish out tasks then you kind of know what to expect in terms of estimates and things like that that that's good it's, you also know it's possible too. yes and in fact parnell my technical co-founder here at woosh traffic he's a full-time programmer so he's written over thirty-five thousand lines of custom code for our woosh traffic application and it's easy for us to talk together. In fact, he said one of the reasons he decided to come on board at Woosh Traffic and become my co-founder was because I have so much experience and background, not only in coding myself, but also in managing programmers and other technical people. And he said, it's, it's the most frustrating thing in the world. And I'm sure any of you who are programmers or technical people out there can identify with this. It's the most frustrating thing in the world to have a boss who really doesn't understand how code works and what you right. can do with it and what you can't do with it. And since I have that background at least somewhat, I can grasp pretty easily when he says, we can't do this. And I say, why? And he delves into a technical explanation. I can easily understand it. 
And that's really important for both of us. It allows us to communicate really quickly with each other. And it means that neither one of us ever set unrealistic expectations for our code. So how did you get a million for the business? (laughs) (laughs) I love that you keep coming back to that. So, okay. So we're at 2001, early 2002. Silicon Valley has crashed. The dot-com boom has turned into the dot-com bust. Everyone thinks the internet was just a fad and it is now over and data centers are going out of business left and right. So I started snagging equipment on the cheap. Now, it was really difficult to get hosting customers at that point, but I knew that if I could get the equipment cheaply enough that I could make it work. So my grandmother died around that time and my dad received a small inheritance, $15,000, and he didn't need the money. So he said, I'm going to invest this in your company, but you need to send me a business plan. So I sent him a business plan and I said, I'll tell you what, if I can't lease out all of these servers to to hosting customers, dedicated server customers, within the next six months, I'll put it all up on eBay, sell it, and I'll give you your $15,000 back. Because I was making enough money consulting at that point that I could, it wasn't, I wasn't rich by any stretch of the imagination. I was still living in a very small apartment, but I was to the point where I felt like I could realistically lease out all these servers within six months. Uh, He gave me the $15,000 and I spent it all on server hardware. And I got it below the manufacturer's cost to build the hardware. I know because I've built a lot of hardware in my life and I could price out wholesale the cost to build it. And they were giving it to me pre-built for under that price. So I went ahead and bought it all. And then I, and then I said, oh man, now I actually have to lease these out to customers. So I went on webhostingtalk.com, created an account there, which is still the Erica biz account, which has several thousand posts on it now. And I posted a for sale thing and I said, hey, we're a new dedicated server hosting company and we've got some great deals on servers. And sure enough, after several posts and after making myself well known within the web hosting talk community, I did lease them all out successfully in about four months. And then my company had recurring revenue coming in every month and it was starting to be a little bit more secure than my consulting job. By 2004, the beginning of 2004, I did my 2003 taxes realized that 80% of my income was coming from web hosting, but it was only taking up about 20% of my time, the whole 80-20 rule. Very interesting. So 2004 was the year I told all of my web consulting clients, the people I was building shopping carts and merchant account integrations for, because that was the most popular thing that people wanted in those days, that I was done programming and that I would help them transition to somebody else, which I did, and that I would be doing web hosting full time from here on out. So in early 2000, late 2004, I believe it was, I should look some of these dates up. I have it all in my email. I hired my first employee. Brandon was his name. He was a computer science graduate uh, from San Jose State, which is also the college where I went to school for a year before I dropped out. And he was a year older than I was and wanted to work for free. Now, this was a time when computer science graduates, and this is probably totally foreign to people who are just graduating right now, Computer science graduates could not find jobs. There were no jobs available. Nobody was hiring. Maybe Google was hiring, but they probably weren't hiring people from San Jose State, which wasn't like a Harvard or a Stanford or one of those really elite universities. And he was really struggling to find a job. So I said, I don't want to hire you for free. I don't like hiring people for free. Uh, It never works out well. So I'm going to I'm going to pay you basically like 10 or 12 bucks an hour, something like that. And I'm going to teach you everything I know. So I taught him Linux. I taught him how to install it. I taught him how to system administrate. I basically brain dumped everything I knew on building hardware and getting it set up and troubleshooting it to him. 
And he became a really, really awesome Linux guru. And in fact, a few years later, probably knew more about Linux than I did at that point because he'd had so many years of just doing it day in and day out. So awesome. that at that point, the company was making enough to pay its hosting bills and enough to pay Brandon and enough to pay me a small amount of money. It, it was realistically a lot less than I could have made at working at a straight up job in Silicon Valley. I could have easily pulled in 60 to 70K a year as a PHP programmer for a company, but I wanted to do the hosting thing instead. So through the next few years, it grew and grew. And eventually in 2007, I did come to the point where I sold the business. And at that point, we had 161 customers when I sold the business, paying us an average of $425 a month. So we didn't have a lot of customers, but they were paying us a lot of money. And they, we had, I think, 360, 400 servers under management. So we were pretty substantial at that point. We were definitely one of the bigger companies in Silicon Valley offering hosting, certainly not the biggest, but we weren't the smallest either. And there were other companies that wanted us to buy them that were smaller. But what I ended up doing was merging with a company that was about the same size as mine called Silicon Valley Web Hosting. (laughs) And Bruce was the owner of that company, Bruce Templeton. He's still there. He's still the owner. And he absorbed all of our customers and I exited the hosting business. And so you can find him at svwh.net. And that's where a lot of our hosting customers are actually still with him. And that was in 2007 that I sold the business. So I think he's done a really good job with it. I'm, I'm really happy with him. And, and he's been doing a great job with his business as well. He just launched a cloud hosting platform. So he's, he's been rocking it out in the hosting industry. And I'm glad to be out of it because they're Hosting industry is not an easy industry. If you've ever tried to host for other people, you know what I mean. If the server crashes at three in the morning, it's ultimately your responsibility to get out of bed and fix it. There's a lot of pressure in terms of pricing. We were almost almost killed ourselves in 2007 when we had a lot of income, almost $80,000 a month in income, but we had more, more expenses than income is how I would put it. <laughs> right. So right, I almost, because it became kind of a commodity business at, at a certain point. I don't think it was commodity. I'll tell you the story in 2007 where I almost crashed the business. This was four months before I ultimately ended up selling it to Bruce and his company. And that was, we were in a situation where the data center that we were in, Market Post Tower. So in hosting companies, you have all kinds of, of hosting companies from people who rent out a dedicated server somewhere and just lease little space on that to people who have their whole full-blown data centers and networks. And we were uh, toward the top of that. We had cage space in a data center plus several upstream providers that we had our own set of routers to. And we basically worked that way. And that was where those, those we had some nice profit margins at that point because we had some really sweet deals on the data center space and the network providers. And then we were leasing out dedicated servers and co-location space to our customers. And dedicated servers was by far the most profitable thing that we did. So right. I, the data center that we were in, the space, they were leasing a space, not bandwidth, just space. And they locked us out of the data center because we owed almost $60,000. And this was in May 2007. And it was probably the worst day of my life because I had to come to grips with the fact that the company was not profitable. And the fact was that we had a lot of employees and a lot of overhead and we weren't making any money and that it was my fault. Absolutely. As the CEO and the owner of the company, that was, it was me. I couldn't blame it on anybody else. So how how many employees did you have at that point? 
We had six at that point, and I laid off three of them that day. The absolute worst day of my life. I cannot overstate that enough. I These people were depending on me, and their families were depending on me to provide for them. And I had totally failed in that regard. And no doubt, it was a really terrible experience for me that day to have to lay off my staff members, the people who were most important to me. The problem was that was the only expense that we could easily cut because we were in contracts for everything else for years on end. We couldn't cut the contracts. And and that was that was the unfortunate part about it. And it was it was a really tough situation. I mean, now I'm very diligent about how our company makes money, how much our company spends. I'm very persistent about keeping accurate records and books and things like that. So I've definitely learned a lot from that experience. But basically, it just then it was down to me and one other full-time employee and one other part-time employee. I gave the full-time employee that I kept a percentage of equity in the company, a small percentage in exchange for a salary uh, cut and an agreement that I would sell the company within a year. And then I just, I started raising all of our customers' rates. We doubled, tripled, quadrupled, even one of the customers whose name you would know because he's a famous internet person. We raised his rate eight times over what he was paying because we realized we weren't charging him for a bunch of stuff that he had with us. We had pretty bad records too. And that, right. that really came back later to bite us, obviously, because we didn't, we weren't profitable. So we had to do that to survive. And then the company became all, almost overnight extremely profitable. <laughs> it became, it went from being completely not profitable to very, very profitable, except now that I was working like 90 hours a week. I had already been working a lot, but I was working a lot more. And I was starting to feel really sick a lot of the time as well. So that was a big issue. So basically, then I started started paying down our debt rapidly. We agreed to a four-month payment plan with the data center to pay off the $60,000. So, And I used all of our profit. I even cut my own salary as much as I could. I wasn't making very much. I was paying myself $50,000 a year and living in San Jose, which was not a whole lot for San Jose. And I cut my salary down to $40,000 a year and just used everything I had to pay off all the debt that we had because that was my, my whole focus at that point was just get the company out of debt and by, I'm pleased to say by the time I sold the company that we had paid off every penny that we owed. We didn't negotiate any of the debt away. I didn't. I could have negotiated with them, but I didn't feel like that was prudent. I felt like it was prudent to pay off exactly what we owed. We did do that. The people from Market Post Tower, the data center, came back to me and said they'd never seen somebody with so much integrity to pay off a payment plan like that. And this is all really scary for me to talk about because i sure there are some people out there who are just infuriated with the fact that I laid off employees but I didn't have any choice. And my mistake was definitely to not look at the financial side of the business, to ignore it and focus on the technology. And that may ring true to a lot of people who are listening to this podcast who are very technical. And the truth is that if you're running a startup, you have to focus on the financials. You can't outsource that to somebody else, or you can't even do what I did and just stick your head in a hole and say, okay, I'm just not going to look at it at all because I'm just going to focus on how cool and awesome our technology is. It just doesn't work that way. You have to know your numbers. And I learned that lesson very well. And I'm pleased to say that my new company, Woosh Traffic, is, is not going to have financial issues like that because I'm diligent and persistent about making sure that the numbers work. It's oftentimes in, in life, success comes from uh, failure like that, right? You, 
you, you do things because it's just sort of the way you are as a person or a habit or because it's easy. And then you learn that those things are not only they're not going to work, but they're, they're really going to cause you to fail. And after you learn those hard lessons, it's like, okay, you turn those things around and, and, uh, and that's where the success comes from, which seems to be exactly right. what you've done here. So Jason, you can see why I wanted her on the show, right? And we haven't even discussed SEO yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we, yeah, we, we got to get into, uh, you know, Erica.biz too, because her, um, her, her blogging effort is really interesting as well. You know, apart from just, you know, the, the stuff you're talking about, the SEO. So yeah, we got a lot of stuff to cover. That's okay. Well, first of all, stuff. let's talk about how, how did you get into SEO? And what point? Obviously it sounds like when you were 15, right? Yes, when I was 15. Okay, so let's talk about that is a fun story actually. I like telling this story and this is one I haven't talked about much either. I like this because you guys are uncovering a lot of stuff that normally I don't talk about in interviews. So this is really cool. <laughs> I went on this website in 1996, 97 somewhere in there. I had internet access dial up of course, and I went on this website called Career Builder and which is still around actually and I'm sure maybe some of you have yeah. heard of it. And I, I searched for, they had a, a field where I could search for work from home jobs. And a lot of it was that scammy crap, you know, like stuff envelopes and work from home. <laughs> and I learned quickly. I, I talked to my parents and I learned quickly which stuff was scammy stuff. I asked my mom and dad how the envelope scam worked. And my mom actually went to the library and researched how it worked and came back and, and explained it to me and then helped me learn how to do research to avoid scams. So fortunately, I didn't get sucked into any of the scammy stuff. My mom had this rule. She said, if it requires you to send money to them to get the job, then don't do it. <laughs> and that's I pretty right. much, I think that's a pretty good rule. So I went online and I found this job, was, which was for an SEO company. And they said, we're based in St. Louis. And we are a company that sells a, get this, boxed piece of software in computer stores that helps customers submit their website to search engines. And so they, this is back in the day, they bought a box. People bought this box of software at the store, brought it home, stuck the CD-ROM in their drive, and then it would log on to the internet and submit stuff. Now, this was back in the days of dial-up, so it was incredibly slow to do that. And also it required people to type in their information a whole lot of times. Basically, it set it up as an HTML frame set. And on the left side of the frame was your site information in little boxes, like your title, your keywords, stuff like that. You typed all that in and then it generated the frame set with that stuff. And on the right side was a top frame with a next and previous search engine button and a bottom frame with the search engine in the frame. And so in some cases it would try to autofill that data, but in a lot of cases it couldn't autofill that data, those form fields. So you had to go copy from the left side and paste it to the right side. Well, they kind of purposefully made this obtuse for their, their box customers. I thought this was really a, a genius business model. They, they made it a little difficult to do it yourself because you're on dial-up, right? You've got this heavy frame set that you've loaded into your window. And then now you've got to copy from here to here. And then they had this advertisement in their software that said, if you don't want to do this yourself, then you can hire our team to do it. And they needed people to do that. They needed people to copy and paste from the left frame to the right frame. So what I got was a copy of their software uh, that they sent to me online. It took me forever to download the zip file with the software in it and which generated the frame set for that particular customer. I had to sign an NDA saying that I wouldn't release the customer data. And then I copy and pasted from the right, from the left side to the right side of the frame. 
And I did that and they paid me per customer that was completed. So they would charge customers $100 or something to complete this SEO search engine submission. And then they would pay me $50 of that and they would keep the other 50 for themselves. And it seems like a lot. And it com- it came out to about $12.50 an hour. Uh, I was a pretty fast copy and paster. <laughs> so that was my first SEO job. And back then I was working on my own website, the best shareware, as I'd mentioned earlier. And I had a couple of their websites too. None of them making great amounts of money. Some of them making 10 or 20 or $30 a month here and there, which was great income for a 15 year old. So it was very exciting when I, I, I remember I often used to get checks in the mail and go get Game Boy games because that was what I wanted most was Game Boy games. <laughs> so basically this SEO company paid me to do this stuff. And I got really curious about this business model and this SEO thing. And I decided to look into SEO. And I do remember at one point in 1998, I had basically read every article there was on the internet about internet marketing. And that may sound shocking, but there were only a couple hundred of them at that point. There were only four or five websites on internet marketing at that time period that were free. There were some other ones, of course, selling information products very, very early in the game to sell information products. So that was basically what I did. I read all of Jacob Nielsen's alert box columns. I read a couple of other websites that aren't even around anymore. There was something called Info something. I can't remember what it was. I read all of it. It wasn't InfoSeek, the search engine. It was a, a website that was based. It was an internet marketing type of website. I went to all the business websites and read all the articles I could find in their marketing section. So I got really into SEO at that point and I completely revamped the best shareware on my other sites and I saw my income start to go up from these sites. Now all of a sudden I wasn't making 10 or 20 bucks a month. I was making like 50 or 60 bucks a month. Well, that was a substantial increase in the amount of income that I made. Then of course my server got stolen and it all went to heck. So, <laughs> but it was at least good enough to to provide for my hosting costs, which were expensive because I had to have my own server to host the shareware site. So, and I thought it was pretty freaking cool that I was making money from all these different websites. And uh, at that point, I understood that basically SEO was two things. SEO was putting the right keywords on your website so that people would find it, which in my case for the best shareware was shareware. (laughs) And uh, the keywords back in those days were all one word pretty much. I mean, they were like, I want to go for web hosting or shareware. And there weren't, there wasn't that much competition. So I... I keyword optimized my site. And then of course, the other part of SEO was submitting your site to all of the different search engines out there. So I actually used that company's software, which they sent me, you know, for all of their customers. And I, I got all the list of search engines out of the software and I submitted my website to all hundred of the search engines and I did my own product instead of having to pay for it. So that was basically what SEO was back then. And I used SEO. A lot of people ask, how did you get so many hosting customers for your business, especially paying so much money? And I used SEO for my web hosting business to become number one for two very small key phrases. I I was number one for Bay Area co-location, which is a type of web hosting where you bring your own server into the data center. And I was number one for San Jose co-location, same deal. And between those two number one results, we gained over a quarter of a million dollars a year in new business. So that was my SEO story. Oh, and my web hosting company, I always tell people this and they have a hard time believing it, but it is true, was my web hosting company site when I started doing SEO and link building to it back a long time ago, 2004, 2005, that time when things were going really well was a Google page rank seven. So 
I really knew how to build links back to my site. I did some really clever stuff with link building that doesn't even work anymore because of the nofollow links. <laughs> but basically I did a lot of commenting, a lot of posting, and I bought a, <laughs> this was this was the best one. This was my favorite part. This does not work anymore. I bought the number 10 result in a lot of PPC search engines. So they used to have these things called PPC search engines where it's like Google pay-per-click ads, but the whole search engine is just ads. And those sites had really high page rank because they had SEO companies that they had engaged with to do this link building back to these sites. So they had the top 10 results and everybody was trying to bid for the number one result because they wanted the traffic. Well, I didn't care about the traffic. I cared about the SEO. So I bought the number 10 result on a whole bunch of different PPC search engines and just just adjusted my bid just enough so that I would stay on the first page for that. And back then, that was way before Google had introduced no follow links. And all of those links counted as links back to my site. So that was one of the ways I built up my site in the search engines and managed to get it easily ranked number one because it had such a high page rank. I had all these links flowing into my site from various forums, uh, blog posts, and the PPC search engines. Okay, what is the what is a nofollow link exactly? Okay, let's talk about that. So Google has more recently, it's, it's still been a few years, but more recently they introduced something called nofollow. And here's why they did it. So people figured out a loop. There's always loopholes for SEO. <laughs> people figured out one loophole for SEO, which was blogging was becoming really popular. 2004, 2005, you didn't hear much about blogging. By 2007, 2008, everybody was blogging. And people figured out that you could put a blog comment on a blog, not even write a post, just a comment on somebody else's blog. And you could type in, instead of typing in your name, you could type in something like cheap car insurance. And then you could type in your URL to whatever your cheap car insurance site is. And that would be a link with the anchor text, cheap car insurance. The anchor text is just the underlined text of the link. And it would link back to your site. And lo and behold, the companies came out and they started offering to hire people to post hundreds or thousands of comments on all these different blogs with your name and your link back to your site and a comment that was hopefully at least somewhat relevant to the post. This became known as blog comment spam because there were a whole lot of companies engaging in doing this because it was a, an easy way to get your search engine rankings up. And there was a whole lot of companies making bank outsourcing this kind of stuff to <laughs> India, the Philippines, other countries. So basically blog comment spam became a real problem. And a lot of these bloggers they wanted to show that they had lots of comments on their blog. So they would leave those comments up, even though it, it would just say something like, you know, cheap car insurance. And it would say, wow, great blog post. I've subscribed to your RSS feed. So Google introduced what was called no follow links, which means links that don't get any juice for Google. Let me explain that. So every page on the internet has a certain page rank, right? And a certain authoritative rank, basically. And that page will send out its rank through the links on its site. So basically, if you are, you know, xyzblogger.com, you have a blog post on the top 10 business bloggers out there, and you link to 10 other sites, then a little bit of that link juice from your site, a little bit of that Google love from your site will go out to those 10 other sites. And Google will see those links to 10 other sites and say, oh, this site endorses those other sites. So those sites must be somewhat relevant and it will slightly increase their authoritativeness. And it's 
it's not the best technical explanation, but it's the best layman's explanation I've come across for that sort of deal. Of course, the technical SEO people might be screaming right now into their computer monitors. <laughs> but basically, that's how it works in layman's terms. And what the blog commenter spam was doing was those links counted as giving a little bit of the Google juice away to those sites. So now all of a sudden the poker sites, the casino sites, the the Viagra sites, the everybody was starting to do this. Okay, we're just going to go post 50,000 comments on blogs. We're going to hire an army of workers to post comments. And of course, then somebody came out with some automation software that automatically blasted thousands of blog comments out and it became ridiculous. So Google introduced nofollow and asked WordPress and and they had Blogger and a bunch of other popular platforms do it so that when you comment on a post, that link is tagged as nofollow and the Google juice from the particular page that that comment lives on does not pass to that page that is linked to. So basically those comments don't count as much in Google's eyes. Now, the common misconception is that those nofollow links don't count in Google at all. It's not true. They count probably a thousandth as much as they would with a do follow tag. So they still count, but they, they count very small amount versus a do follow link. And the, so I th- go ahead. So I was going to say, I think this is a good time to start to talk about Traffic Woosh, which is your, your SEO company, and for you to tell us um, basically what it is and what you do. Sure. I'd be happy to. So what we do is we help small business owners and startups get more traffic to their websites. And we are also going into the SEO tools market. And so what we're doing right now is link building, which is where we go out to thousands of sites and post your link back to it. Not blog commenting. We don't do blog commenting, but we use some other methods. And I'd be happy to talk about that to anyone who wants to engage us for our services. Is that black hat, by the way? Is is that just generally hiring someone to go out and build links for you? Is that black hat, gray hat, or white hat? No, I don't consider it black hat. So I consider black hat as things that would get you banned from Google. And this is not something that would get you banned from Google because you're not buying links on other sites. The only thing that Google has explicitly said no to is the people who, you know, and if you're a site owner, you may have gotten these emails, people who come to you and say, hey, I'd like to buy a link on your site and I'll pay you $20 or $10 a month or $5 a month for you to post a link to my site on your site. And that's the thing that Google has explicitly cracked down on because they're using these links as a gauge of what's relevant on the internet. They're assuming that if you're linking to something, you're doing so because it's interesting, informative, engaging content. And then that site that you're linking out to gets a boost in the ranks because of that for its own keywords. And when you buy links, you circumvent that. So Matt Cutts from Google has explicitly said, do not buy links. So we are not buying or selling links. That is not what we do. But I'm, but if I engage your service, I'm buying links from you. Although I know that you're not, you know, you're actually posting the links. So it's, it's sort of similar. Um, yeah, but we don't pay the sites that we post the links on. So this isn't, yep. there are companies out there that do that and that's fine, but it's not what we do. What do you do? <laughs> so what we do is we go out to thousands of different sites on the internet that allow you to post a profile and that profile has, you know, maybe a name and a picture. We don't use your real name, but a name and a picture and some information. And then it has a link back to your site. And the sites that we put in our database are screened so that all of those links are do follow links, meaning they're counted by Google. And then we have our own custom blog network that gets those links 
indexed in Google so that they count toward your search engine ranking. Then as you sign up as a customer with us, you have we have a rank tracking capability, which tracks your rank in Google over time for a particular keyword and graphs it out. So our goal, of course, would be to have your rank go up every month. And we've been really successful with this with our customers. It's really hard getting testimonials for an SEO company because nobody wants to admit that they use SEO. We've got some very familiar names and some big brand names using our service. But of course, they don't want to say they're using an SEO company. So it's it's been tricky to get testimonials, but we've been um, we've done amazingly well for our customers. And I'm very pleased with that. Is it even possible to get into Google without using a company like yours these days? Yeah, I think it is. It it just takes a a lot of work. And and the truth is you can do this yourself. (laughs) I would never say you have to hire an SEO company to get traffic from Google. I certainly didn't for my web hosting company. Even today with much more competition, you can still do it yourself. It just takes a lot of work. And what we do is make that process painless for you so that you as a business owner don't have to go out and spend your valuable time building links back to your site. Everything. Well, that- it's, it's yeah. just like saying you can design your own site or code your own site. Right. At some point, you have to decide that it's an expertise that you don't have or it's a time you don't have or it's something you don't want to spend your time doing. And you figure you're just going to outsource pieces of it. So exactly. I, mean, I think it fits in that category, right? I mean, the whole SEO thing is something that a lot of bootstrappers and, and tech startup guys don't understand the value. But from, you know, from listening to you talk, it sounds like the, the value that SEO can bring to you could literally be millions of dollars. Yes. And I think a lot of people mistake. Uh, there are unfortunately a lot of popular people, and I'll, I'll name names, Gary Vaynerchuk, Seth Godin, who say things like SEO is dead. I, I could not, it could not be farther from the truth. We have some amazing customers in some niches. Now, I will tell you that SEO is dead if you're looking to just uh, build up your brand in social media or something like that. But the fact is that SEO has a proven return on investment. And I'm not just saying that because I run an SEO company. I run an SEO company because I'm passionate about SEO, not the other way around. So I started this company because I'm really passionate at SEO and I'm fairly good at it. But I, I really think that people miss the boat on this. You need customers if you're running a startup. That's the deal. You need people who are going to whip out their credit card or a check or PayPal and buy your stuff. Those customers are searching in search engines for things that you provide. And if they're searching in search engines for something that you provide and then you can get money from them, then SEO is probably the right way to go. And you can, of course, use pay-per-click. But frankly, if SEO is dead, then pay-per-click should be dead, too, because it's the same thing. It's people typing something into Google and then clicking on a result. So I, I really am I'm, I'm shocked when I hear people say things like SEO is dead. I, I've actually, you know, 14 years of SEO experience, and I've been hearing that for those entire 14 years. People said <laughs> SEO was dead in 1998 because banner ads were going to be the most popular thing. Then people said in 1999 and 2000, search engines are dead. Portals are the new thing. And of course, we saw where that went. <laughs> right. The fact is, millions of people on Google are searching for products that you offer, and you need to know this stuff. And you need to get up there in the ranks if you're going to have a chance of success. And of course, you can make a company through social media and you can make a company through videos or blogging or whatever else you'd like. I've, I've done very well with blogging myself, but 40% of my blog's traffic comes directly from Google for all sorts of keywords. And I've increased that traffic significantly by using my own Woosh traffic service. About a year ago, my blog was getting around eight or 9,000 visitors a month from Google. doesn't sound too bad. They were actually converting really well. We had 
a situation where 6% of them were opting into my email list for particular types of very specific keywords. And those that was really a nice moneymaker for me. And now my blog gets between 18 and 22,000 <coughs> visitors a month from Google. And that's straight up whoosh traffic that has done that for me. And I've been using it for my own site to great success. And that's why I decided to launch the service. I didn't decide to launch the service and then use it on my site. I actually set up the service, used it on my own site for three months, then used that as proof that this really worked and it was something to look into. Yeah, you, the, okay, this relates to what you said about uh, Gary Vanderchuk and Seth Godin saying that SEO is dead. Well, I think what I find is that oftentimes people predict things are dead or aren't going to work when it's less that, that they're true, it's that they want them to be true. True. And I, I think you'll see that happens in a lot of aspects of life, and I think it's true here. It's like they would like the world to be such that you can't do anything to influence the rankings other than just – um, I don't, I don't know, create, create content and hope for the best. Right. Um, so I don't know. I think that might factor into it too. I think, I think, uh, who was it? Um, Chris Dixon of hunch and, uh, he's also the founder collective. I think it might be, he's, he's, he, he was saying that as well. He ha- had a talk, I think a Google talk or, or somewhere. And he was talking about some of the investments they had and that, uh, that they just decided that, you know, SEO doesn't work for any of their startups anymore. And, um, I think it was, um, Patrick McKenzie might've debunked that when we had him on recently. Yeah, I so. do remember reading that Chris Dixon post as well. And I was really disappointed to hear him say that. I think that it's a, it, it, it's a troubling development in startups where, you build something and then you try to figure out how to get people to it. Whereas I, I build businesses completely opposite. I use whoosh traffic and I use my own keyword research knowledge, find out what people are looking for, then build a business around that. It's so much easier to sell to a market that's already buying than to try to create a market out of thin air. And that's Absolutely, what SEO yeah. and keyword research helps you do. It helps you determine whether a market exists, how easy that market is to enter and what they're buying. And to not know that to start a business and, and you know, social media is great. It's awesome. I, I appreciate everybody who does that writing books like Seth Godin does is great. It's awesome. I'm working on one myself, but the fact is that knowing what your market buys is really important. And that's what SEO and keyword research tells you. It tells you whether there's a market of buyers out there for your product. That's something that you've got to know as a business owner. Okay. So let's say I am a plumber, right? And mm-hmm. I'm a plumber living in San Diego, and I'm, I'm using this example because I've seen it in your, in your software. Okay, so if I was a plumber in San Diego, how would I use Woosh Traffic? When it, like, first of all, I guess I buy, I subscribe to a plan, and then I log in, and then what happens? Sure. Well, one of our largest customers is a plumbing franchise that's been doing really well for lots of city-based keywords. So for a, a local business, a city-based keyword is, is the right way to go. So for instance, San Diego Plumber or San Diego Plumbing. <laughs> So keyword research can tell you which of those terms people are typing in most often. And then what you would do is, first of all, you need to set up your site so that it has good content. We never work with sites that have bad content. And in fact, when you first sign up with us, you get a 30-minute consult one-on-one with me, which is a value of $250. I, I do bill myself out at $500 an hour for consulting. So it's a half an hour consult with me and we go through your site and your competition. I break down what your competition is doing to rank well. And then I work with you and your site and I give you a to-do list of stuff that you need to do. And then we figure out what your keywords are because a lot of people, they have this company, they're selling something, but they don't know what it is that, what it is that people are typing into Google to potentially find their company. So we break down what keywords work. 
And we found that it's really best if you are selling something directly off your website. Of course, I use Woosh Traffic for my blog and I get people to sign up for my email list. But the most effective ROI is to get people to a page where they can buy something right then and there. So that's what we do. And then the consult is really valuable for people because actually just that consult really opens your eyes as to what people are searching for, how many people are searching for it, how big your market is and what your competitors are doing, because I can reverse engineer exactly what your competition is doing to get on top of the search engines. And I can say your competition is doing this. And I've seen everything from super amazing strategies where they're building great viral content to super sleazy strategies where they're buying links on other sites and it, it makes me a little sick. <laughs> so I have a, I have a question on this, uh, uh, Justin. I, I'm going to just switch the example a little bit. That's okay. So Justin and I, we each have our own um, sort of side project startups that we're working on, but there's a, there's a project we're going to team up on called Anyfoo. Um, and, and what it is, is it's going to be a site where as an expert, you would register yourself and, and, and as being an expert in a certain area or areas. So the, the idea being that as an expert, you, you reg, you're able to register yourself, yourself on the site. People find you, can read reviews about you, can maybe see demo videos, uh, see the things that you're an absolute expert in, and then can set up a time to have like an hour or two um, with you to have a, a sort of a consulting session. Right, so just like what you're doing with SEO, you could do the same thing with, you know, Linux administration, <coughs> root coding, I mean, whatever. And so it's it's going to be highbrow, like with the minimum price point of a hundred dollars an hour. I, and I, Justin, I've been thinking that that's even too low because experts can make at least a hundred to two hundred dollars an hour just doing, you know, just sitting there at their computer without even having to talk to anybody. Right. Right. So to arrange time to sit down and talk to someone, um, you know, and sort of break their flow, whatever they're working on, they might want to charge at least $200 an hour um, and up. And just like uh, Eric here is charging $500 an hour. Right. Um, so it might even be higher than that. But um, for creating an SEO situation for, I mean, because I'm thinking it wouldn't be too hard for us to find the experts based on the communities that we have through TechZing and, and Startup Guild, but find, getting the people getting the users to come to, to, to make use of, the, of these experts um, might require some SEO work. And I'm just curious what you would think about a, how you would approach a problem like that. I would do the following. I would, before I even build the site, before I even register the domain name, I would do a whole lot of keyword research. And this is what I do every time I go into a niche market. And I'm in several little niche markets right now with little niche websites that are making pretty decent money. And I would do the research beforehand so you know that some people are going to be typing in a really generic keywords like find experts or something like that. But what I would be looking at is what are the long tail on those? And I can tell you, having done literally hundreds of these sessions with people, is that it's likely that that's going to break down by type. What type of experts are they looking for? And I know that some of the experts that people may be looking for, just having done so many of these sessions before, might be in fields that you guys haven't thought of, like home improvement or... Uh, I know home improvement's a huge one. I actually used to work for a home improvement company, so I've done a lot of research for those type of keywords. Back when I was a PHP programmer, I did the whole back end for a home improvement company's website, the whole whole shebang, the sh content management system, shopping cart, everything. So I happen to know that that's something where people really look for experts to answer their questions. It might be plumbers, like we talked about earlier. And it's really, keyword research is really about getting business owners to think outside of the box a little bit. It's not just from your personal perspective, what are people looking for? It's also from hundreds of millions of Google searches, how, what are people looking for? And then you have to figure out, are people gonna be willing to pay for this stuff? 
what are the top 10 results? If, if, for instance, let's say that our keyword research reveals that home improvement expert is a keyword that people type in a lot. I don't know if it is or not. I haven't done the research, but let's say that we, we sit down together, we do, you know, 30 minutes of research and that turns out to be a popular keyword. Now, what are the top 10 results for that? If it's YouTube, then you know how to market because you're going to market through videos. If it's Google images, then you can set up some images on your site with the right keywords around those images. If it's blog posts, then you want to set up a blog with your site. So you figure out your marketing plan based on the top 10 results. Then we break down how competitive are those top 10 results. And I have some tools that I use that I can introduce you guys to, most of which are absolutely free, but nobody knows about them that show you how many backlinks each site in the top 10 has, what their page rank is, things like that. And then we figure out how difficult is it going to be for you to rank for this keyword. Then what I recommend is usually running a test. You might want to run a PPC test, for instance, spend a hundred bucks, you know, grab one of those free hundred dollar PPC things that Google has floating around all the time, those coupons and run a test. See if people would be interested in even opting into your email list for that. You see that this type of business development is totally different from how most startups think, first of all, but it almost guarantees that you'll have a profitable business within a week or two of starting it. And I can tell you, based on keyword research alone, I've scrapped probably 99 out of every 100 business ideas that I have because of one of two things happen. Number one, there's nobody searching for it. Or number two, there are a lot of people searching for it, but nobody's buying anything. And that way, I don't waste time registering a bunch of domain names that I'm never going to use. I don't waste time doing anything except figuring out little niches that people are in. And I'll drop a huge hint for you guys here. I I have been blown away by some of the niches that our customers are in. I'm not going to reveal any specific niches. Obviously, that's under confidentiality. I would never do that to any of our customers. But I will tell you in very vague general terms that selling products to women is one of the biggest niches out there right now that's completely, almost completely untapped. And so I'm looking into a lot of those companies. To- um, pa- Patrick McKenzie has, uh, did a, a, a whole um, presentation about that, about the fact that women is such an underserved market it in is. general. Yeah. Even though they do most of the buying. Yeah, they do most of the buying and they're completely underserved with products. Yep. And I'm talking about products that are specifically geared toward women. And my advice to the people out there who want to start making money online, but don't necessarily know what they want to do, or they have an idea that's kind of languishing, go out there and talk to every mom that you can get a hold of and ask her what she's buying. Because I will tell you, we have so many customers in those, those type of markets and they are doing unbelievably well. You would not believe how much most moms pay for stuff. And, and it's not just moms, but women in general, but stuff that only women buy huge, huge markets that are dramatically underserved right now. And again, I won't reveal anything specific that our customers are doing, but folks, you will be blown away. (laughs) Okay. So so once if, once if we've done the consult with you, um, we're a plumber, right? We're in San Diego. So then we log into your system and how does it work? Like, is it automated or is it just like on the phone? We tell you what keywords to optimize for, or how does it work once, once we've had our consult? It's almost completely automated at that point. And we have real people building backlinks. I want to emphasize that this is not some sort of software that goes out and automatically builds backlinks for you. So we have five full-time employees building backlinks currently, and we're probably about ready to hire a sixth actually, because we've signed a lot of new customers recently, but Basically, what they do is, well, what you do is you go into your customer control panel. You say, here's my keyword, here's my URL, and here's how many links a month I want to allocate to that. And that's what we determine on the consult. So that will, by the time you're done with the 30-minute session with me, you'll know exactly what you want to do. And we'll know whether you want to build to your homepage or whether you want to build to a blog post on your site. 
whether you want to make a new blog post, anything like that. And then our link builders do the rest. And what are the price points? The price points, it starts at $197 a month. Most of our customers are at the $500 a month level or above. That's really the sweet spot because that's really where you start seeing some amazing results. So basically what you can typically expect is that a lot of times you're not going to be ranked for your particular keyword right now at all because you're a new site or you're a site that hasn't really focused on SEO. And that's totally okay. That's usually where our customers are starting. And then within the first month, you should see yourself at least ranked. Now, you're not probably going to not be on page one for your keyword, although it does happen in some cases. But I, I would never guarantee that or, or even state that as an expected outcome. And you probably be on page two, three, or four for your particular keyword. And then every month from there, we build more links and your, and your site goes up in the ranks. And I usually tell our customers four to six months. And I really am explicit about that because... I find a lot of people, they just want instant results. And SEO is not instant. If you want results tomorrow, you should test with PPC. And you should get your PPC campaigns working and converting. And while you're doing that, you're also working with us for SEO on the back end. And then you'll be totally prepared. By the time four, three, four, six months comes around and you're on page one, sometimes it happens in month two or three. Sometimes it happens in month six or seven. It really depends on the customer and the keyword, of course, that they're going after. Some people go after really difficult keywords. And by the time you're on page one, then you know from your PPC spend that you've got a site that converts and makes money for you. And that way, then you can just transfer that back into your SEO. So what do I get for $500 a month then? You get our team building backlinks for you. And I believe that is 550 backlinks a month right now. We're considering upping that too. So interesting. And um, so let's say we work together for six months and you've built 3000 backlinks um, to, to my plumbing business. If I then stop working with you, do I instantly drop off the Google or how does that work? It depends. And I'll, I'll just give you the straight up answer. So I have a number one rank for a, a term in Google that actually gets a fairly, fairly large amount of traffic. I got that number one rank in 2008 when I wrote a blog post about it. I've never done any link building to that post. I've never done anything to it. And it still sits there at number one. The reason it's at number one is because I don't have a lot of competition. The keyword does get a fair amount of searches every month, but I don't have any competitors who are doing link building. Now, in the plumbing company world or any of that, there are a lot of SEO companies going after plumbers right now because they are lucrative customers. We, I mean, obviously we have one as a customer, a franchise, and they're very lucrative for us because they're building lots of different links to lots of different markets for plumbing. So basically there's a lot of SEO companies hitting up plumbers, trying to get them to sign SEO contracts. So it depends on your market and your competitors. You may sit there at number one for months. You may have a competitor who suddenly decides to start engaging an SEO company and being aggressive with the backlinks. And then you may drop really quickly and you may get in a situation, which is the most common situation I've seen where you don't drop off right away, but after a couple of weeks, you start to fall down the ranks. And then after a few more weeks, you're off page one or you're at the bottom of page one. And keep in mind that page one is not the desired result. Number one is the desired result because number one, the number one result gets almost 50% of the clicks on a typical search. So if you're over in the PPC world, you may be happy to get one to two or three percent of the total clicks of the total searches for that click on your result for PPC. The number one organic SEO results get 50 percent of the clicks sometimes in most cases, actually. So you're going to get a lot more traffic with good SEO. In fact, the number 10 result on a page gets more clicks than the typical any PPC result. So that's surprising to some people. But 
number 10 and number one, between number 10 and number one, you always want to be number one and the top three get the most clicks. So going from number four to number three can substantially increase your clicks. So always, always, always hit, go for that number one spot. And if number one is Wikipedia for your keyword, then you're not going to get number one, but go for number two. So should I buy, if, if, I'm, if I'm a plumber, should I basically spend $2,000 a month with you and get many thousands of backlinks a month? Or should I start on the $500 a plan? What do, you, what do you recommend? I typically recommend that people start out at the $500 a month level and see how it goes. And then if they want it to move faster, they can increase their spend with us or do some other sorts of link building, which we can consult with them on. And then we go from there. Because the $500 a month level, I don't try to sell people into something that that is not going to be necessary. The $500 a month level works for a whole lot of companies. And in fact, we've seen it work for some customers on some very competitive keywords with other SEO companies also competing and getting companies to rank really well. So we typically recommend that for a small business. Um, The $200 a month plan that we have is okay if you're going after a low competition keyword, but we see the best results with our $500 a month plan. And then from there, our larger customers are going after lots of different keywords. So that's the difference. So the plumbing franchise has 50 different cities that they can serve. And in this case, they're all in Florida. And so they're going after all 50 of those cities and they've got ranks in all 50 of those cities. So when people type in, you know, certain city in Florida plus plumber, then that company shows up and that's what they're doing. So the the larger plans are designed for people who have lots of different keywords that they want to go after. When we first spoke on the phone, you mentioned something about having too many keywords in one, like too many backlinks in one go and Google kind of treating it differently. Right. So here's what happened. I, we do all kinds of tests with these things because I run an SEO company. You always want to run tests. So we buy all kinds of domain names and we, we set them up for particular keywords and then we do all sorts of things to them. We build lots of backlinks. We build no backlinks. So we did, we did a test with one domain name that we had that had pretty good content on it. Um, and we built 3,500 backlinks to it in a month (laughs) for one keyword. It was, it was insane. It was not something that I would ever recommend that you do, although some people do it. And we wanted to see, we, we wanted to do it because it was kind of a throwaway domain. It didn't really need any SEO and it wasn't like a money site. This was a, this was a test that we ran. It wasn't a customer. I want to make that clear as it was one right. of our domain names. So basically we ran this test. We built 3,500 backlinks to it in a month and then zero for a month, two, three, four, et cetera. So we wanted to see what happened. So we watched and it runs right up to the top of the ranks. And we're like, wow, this is so cool. This really works well. Except for about three weeks later, it dropped from page one, number one to number, I think it was like 84, something like that in the in the ranks. You know, and our rank tracker was catching all of this. So it was recording all of this data. And actually, I still have that graph somewhere for that one. It was a really shocking drop. The graph looks insane. So yeah. and we were a little confused and I, I did some research and I found out that Google has a particular algorithm I like to call the popular news story algorithm. So here's what happens. CNN announces Osama bin Laden is dead. For instance, this is just something that happened recently. So CNN says Osama bin Laden is dead and it's news. So everybody links to it. All of a sudden, everybody on Twitter is linking to CNN and everybody on Facebook and everybody on blogs are all linking to the CNN story about Osama bin Laden being dead. Well, then two or three or four days later, that story is old news. There's new stories coming out. So nobody's linking to it anymore. So what happens is if somebody types into Google, Osama bin Laden dead, that CNN story or whatever it is that everybody's linking to goes up to number one really fast because everybody's linking to it. And then nobody's linking to it. So it drops, it plummets off of page one and it goes way out from number one all the way off to 
not ranked where nobody can find it. Basically, page eight or nine, sometimes it drops off the ranks completely. And that's because it was a popular story, but now it's not relevant anymore. So that's exactly what happens. So it's sort of like your your half-life is the length of um, how quickly it takes for the links to, to gather in the first place. Right. And that's what Google and others have called link velocity. And I think that's a really accurate term for that. So you can picture that in math terms. Basically, if you get 3,000 links to your site in one day, wow, that's great. Except that you have to keep building 3,000 links every month or every few weeks because now Google expects that that will be the link velocity for your site. And if you build 3,000 links to it and then all of a sudden zero, the news story algorithm hits. And by the way, it's really hard to recover once that happens. So the worst thing you can do is build tens of thousands of backlinks to your site, engage a company that just goes crazy with it. So we recommend no more than 550 backlinks per month per keyword. And that we find is a pretty good level because then you maintain your rankings pretty well, even if you want to drop to like two or 300 a month instead of 550. Awesome. Jason, you got any uh, other questions? This, this this has certainly been a, an interview chock-a-block full of info. Uh, yeah, I, yeah I'm, I'm pretty impressed with uh, how much you uh, know about the SEO stuff, I guess probably because I know so little. <laughs> this, is a, this is very interesting. Um, bef- you know, do you mind if we jump off the SEO topic for a minute, Justin? Well, I, I was just going to ask you about uh, this is on this is something I saw on your about page, and you say you call it the three basic factors that make people successful. And I thought it might be interesting to hear your thoughts on describe the three factors and and you know how you came up with those. Sure, I'd be happy to. I have to go back to my about page and remember exactly what I said. I can listen for you. The one is persistence. The second was listening to those who matter, turning out, turning, tuning out those who don't and creating on a consistent basis. Yep. So that's basically the three things. The main thing I see that people do, and especially online, people fall culprit to this all the time, is they'll start something, they'll start a business, they'll start a blog, they'll start a website, whatever it is that they're doing. And then a couple months later, it doesn't have really a whole lot of traction. Maybe they got one sale in two months or they've got hundred visitors to their blog every month. And they say, oh, well, I haven't made my million dollars yet. So this is ridiculous and I'm not going to do this anymore. And I think that Seth Godin has this little short book called The Dip that talks about that, that I really like. And it, it is a tiny book. I read it in like half an hour, but it's a really good book. And it's well worth noting that most businesses don't become overnight successes. It takes forever. And you're going to go through this time when it seems like nobody is listening, nobody is buying anything, nobody is reading, nothing that you do is working. You're trying all this different stuff and none of it's working. But if you stick with it and you know that you have a market, I mean, that's the key too, right? You have to, you have to know that you have a market, but if you know that you have a market and you stick with it, then after a year or two or three, that's when you start seeing the really good results by pushing through the dip and going on and on and just continuing to create, continuing to work on it, continuing to get traffic, continuing to try new ad methods and stick with those that work. And I've seen this, any industry that you go into, whether it's web-based or retail, whether it's advertising or traffic, whether it's anything, doesn't matter what it is. There are, most people quit way too early. And I think that it is easy to quit and I would highly recommend that you try to stick it out. <laughs> and your second one was listening to those who matter and tuning out those who don't. Yes, I, I agree. So <laughs> I agree with my own writing. Apparently. 
You're like, anyway, whoever wrote that was pretty sharp. That's pretty smart. <laughs> so basically, I recommend listening to those who are experts in their subject areas, who who know what they're talking about, who have tried what you've tried and who have been where you've been. But tuning out people who are family members, people who have never been successful. Like a lot of times we tend to listen to the negative talk that a lot of people have. And a lot of people have that negative talk just because they don't have the courage to go and do whatever it is that we're doing. They don't have the courage to quit their job and start a business. They just, and they say, well, that'll never work because if it did work, that would threaten who they are right now. It would threaten their existence because it would mean that they could do it. And we have to realize that most people in this world are ruled by fear and we cannot be ruled by fear in order to succeed. Right, right. And then the uh, last one, your last factor was creating on a consistent basis. Yeah. And I wrote here, emailing, tweeting, and watching TV don't count as work. <laughs> Damn. I, I was hoping the watching TV would because... <laughs> I know oh, okay. we love to watch TV and movies and just like have money come in while we sleep. But, and I mean, that's, that's what a lot of people sell, unfortunately online is, Oh, I'll make money while you sleep. You make money while you sleep because you worked all day to get that money to come in and working involves creating content. It involves being in it and not just creating content either, but being creative and getting new traffic to your site you know, doing videos and trying traffic that way. I certainly don't endorse SEO as the only way that you should ever get traffic to your website. I would never say something like that. I think SEO is a fantastic way to get traffic to your website, but I also think you should know other stuff because if Google does bring the hammer down on your site, heaven forbid, and it really hasn't happened to any of our customers, but we have seen customers lose rank, especially with the Panda update, and then it takes a couple of weeks to recover. If you're depending 100% on SEO for your income, it can be difficult. And we help our customers recover from those sorts of deals, but it is, you know, it may take a, a week or two. <laughs> and so basically knowing all the different ways to get traffic to your website, knowing all the different ways to get customers is really important and not relying on one single thing, but basically just going out there and doing your best every day, working with your customers every day, making sure that people are happy with you and the word will spread. I mean, this is a great example so I have a friend, Pete, and he knew you guys and he knew me. So he introduced us. We would never have met any other way. And that's because I'm going out there and creating my blog on a consistent basis, which is how Pete found out about me. And I wrote about having celiac disease on my blog and being sick all the time. And which I have, by the way. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there you go. And and Pete's then wife was also having similar issues. So I spent a lot of time with them, helping them to figure that out. And oh. she finally figured out it wasn't celiac for her. It was a candida issue, which has similar cause and similar effects. So but Pete was really appreciative of me going through that with him, somebody I didn't know personally, somebody who was just reading my blog and came across me. And it was funny because at the same time, my then boyfriend had sent me a link to Pete's blog saying, you should check out this guy's blog. So <laughs> it was clear that the universe wanted us to meet in some way. So I thought that was really cool. And he and I have since become pretty good friends. And I think it's, I think it's really cool that he's introduced me to all these amazing people like you guys. So I like how that works. But do you see how it wouldn't have worked had I not created the content and had I not been out there with my blog and listening to my readers and talking with them about their own issues? Yeah, and I think that's it, a really key point to make. 
It's something that uh, it's a term we talk about on the show, which is, uh, a, a, you know, our sort of a phrase of increasing your luck surface area. So right. in your luck surface area is really doing something and then promoting it. So you got to, you, you know, your, your surface area, right? It consists it's two dimensional. So one dimension obviously is creating something of value, doing something that other people are ultimately would care about if they knew about it. And the second part is then telling as many people about what you're doing as possible. I mean, if you don't, if you create great stuff, but you don't tell anyone that you're doing it, you're just in your basement, just madly creating away, then that's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to create any luck for you. And if you just go around talking about stuff, but you haven't done anything interesting or aren't working on anything interesting, then no one's really going to care. But it's that combination that's the killer that really that this brings interesting opportunities your way and i think that's a very similar thing to what you're talking about and in fact listening to you i kind of i kind of come up with a i think like a success algorithm it's and it would be create promote connect repeat i like that that's good you know, i think that's sort of what you're doing you know you 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 talk about creating and then you have to promote and seo is a very uh important way to promote it but then you have the third leg is in connecting which is that you know so you create something people find out about it then you have to connect with your customers so you're talking about tuning in you know listening to those who matter and and obviously no nobody's really going to matter more than your customers and then of course just doing that over and over and over again so absolutely <laughs> well erica thanks so much for coming to the show you, you, you know you have an impressive story you're really doing a lot of interesting stuff and um I have a feeling at least one of us is going to be doing business with you shortly, right, Justin? <laughs> yeah. like, this is the kind of thing, Plugio, at least Plugio could benefit uh, in the short term from, from this kind of thing. So, um, yeah, well, thanks, thanks again, uh, Eric, for coming on. It's really great meeting you. And hopefully at some point we can get you back on to tell uh, some of your other stories. Because just looking through your blog, it looks like you've got a lot of interesting stuff to, to talk yeah. about. Thank you. And I'd love to invite your listeners to come check out my blog at erica.biz. That's E-R-I-C-A dot B-I-Z. I've got tons of free content on there from everything about getting more traffic to your site to starting your online business, doing keyword research and niche research. And of course, my company is at whooshtraffic.com. That's W-H-O-O-S-H traffic.com. So, right. Thank Whoosh, you guys not so much. Justin, right? <laughs> Whoosh. Whoosh. Yeah, and, and, and we'll have links on our uh, on the on the uh, on our site on the blog to Erica.biz and to uh, Whoosh Traffic, so you can uh, you can find the links there. So Those will be some links that you didn't need to build, Erica. Excellent. Right. <laughs> so at least two links that you didn't have to build. So. All right, all right. That's a wrap. We're out. <laughs> <laughs>